We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Naked Emperor discusses prospects of putting on new clothes. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, that's right. Our manager, our emperor, has discussed nudity, discussed the understanding of nudity, and he seems to at least appreciate getting dressed. Maybe not quite the way most of us appreciate it. We can get to that and maybe even some of the football. Here to discuss it is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. And joining us all the way from uh, the top of the mountain of podcasting, you may know him as Arsblog. His name is also Andrew. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess, uh, so, well, thanks for coming on. We can let everybody know they can find you on Twitter at Arsblog. I think the mm. hint is in the name there. And then also, you have recently sort of uh, re-envisioned the model by which you deliver some of your great content. You still deliver a lot of it for free, but you're going to be having some special content for people who subscribe to your Patreon page, uh, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Anything quick you want to just mention about it for anybody who's not aware that you're doing this? Um, I guess it's just a, a way for us to do a bit more, both in terms of what we do on Patreon and what we do on the main side as well. So it's... Uh, it gives us a bit more freedom to perhaps explore some stuff we we haven't been able to do um, in the past because it, it's time consuming and it's maybe expensive to produce some some of that content. So it's it's very early days, but we're very uh, very happy about the way it's gone and the support we've got. And hopefully over the coming months we can we can start churning out even more delicious Arsenal fare for everybody to chow down on. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. I mean, uh, if you. You know, if you know what I mean, it is it is fantastic stuff, and the the early stuff you have on there is great. And I can tell you that 
the alternative is to have to tolerate content that is made for free, like what you're listening to now. Don't recommend it. Go with the professional stuff. You will always be in better hands. In any event, um, we can also talk about the football. And I think there's really not much, I, I think, to say in terms of where we are right now other than rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, hopefully you can come up from there. And, and with the uh, Milan game coming up on Thursday, it's an opportunity for us to bounce back. But before we talk about bouncing back, let's talk about how we got here. Andrew, the thing that struck me about this game is that it was an opportunity for the manager to respect the reality of our situation. What I mean by that is recognizing that with top four gone and a trip to Brighton not being saying that too many people were focused on, with Milan being really the life raft for our season, he could rotate. And I guess he had a choice to make, which is either go full strength and really take the game as seriously as possible in hopes of creating some kind of theoretical momentum by winning, or heavily rotate, give some young and fresh players a chance, and keep the other players wrapped in cotton wool for Thursday. He didn't really do that. What do you make of the sort of half measure he took by leaving in some critical first-team players and taking others out? I didn't really understand it to a great extent, I have to say. I thought the the exclusion of Aaron Ramsey completely from the squad was a bit strange. He did talk about him being in need of a rest, having played a couple of games, and we know he's a bit injury-prone. But I, I thought maybe... For a game like this, even if you're not going to start him, have him on the bench and you've got 20 minutes if you need him. And as it turned out, Arsenal probably could have done with Aaron Ramsey. Uh, uh, Hector Bellerin got uh, uh, rotated out for the first time this season in the Premier League. Callum Chambers came in at right back. But I don't think there was too much of an eye on what was going to happen uh, on Thursday. I don't really think he picked his team with that in mind. I think he just picked a team that he felt could win a game. He changed a couple of things to try and change the dynamic of the way we played. And ultimately, it didn't really work. Um, and I think we m- maybe did ourselves a disservice by not having Ramsey on the bench. Um, I- I'm pretty sure he could have done 20 minutes or something. But in the grand scheme of things, maybe Aaron Ramsey is not the the sticking plaster to to the problems that we have at this moment in time. Yeah, I mean, the, the the funny thing is the way I look at it, like, I think it reflects the pressure the manager's feeling to some extent because I think at a time when his stock was maybe a little bit higher, he might have had the freedom to say, you know what, the Milan game is the important one. I'm rotating. I'm taking my best players out of the firing line, and I'm going to sit them and get them ready for Milan. But he didn't do that, and I think the fact that he didn't do that is a recognition that he needed to stop the bleeding, and the fact that he wasn't able to get that response is very telling. And Clive... Well, first, before I come to you, I just have to say, I, I can't vouch for the opinions that are going to be on this podcast as we haven't recorded it yet, but just the voice quality of this podcast is is pretty sensational. I mean, if you were wearing <laughs> my headphones between Andrew's voice and Clive's voice, I mean, it is, is an oral sensation of epic quality in here. But um, th- the thing that I think is always interesting, when you talk about narrative or soft factors like effort, a lot of people don't like that, and, and they say that that's just something you choose to see after the fact, but you can't prove it. One area where I think you can look at effort at times is defending set pieces because a lot of times it's who wants it more, who gets up earlier, who gets up higher, who is stronger in the challenge. And the thing that I found really troubling early in this match, they had a series of corners and on every single one of them, they were getting free uncontested headers. Uh, Players, their runs weren't being tracked. The jumps weren't being matched. To you, is that an area where you can specifically look and say, that tells me that these players aren't switched on? There's a few areas, right? You can look at things like recovery runs, right? You, when you see people making recovery defensive runs, how, are they really busting the gut or are they just jogging, right? So you can look at people making runs for other people. 
you know, you often say when, you, when you're a forward or midfielder, you make one run for yourself. And sorry, one run for the centre back and one run for yourself, right? So you make two or three runs to create space for other people, and then you look at things like throwing your head in on set pieces, right? Are we gonna Are we gonna do that when maybe you're not quite as motivated as you normally are? And the whole thing about this game for me, top to bottom, I thought is all about self protectionism. I thought the manager was looking after himself up to a point, and I saw a number of players looking after themselves. And by the way they were playing and the way they were moving and what they weren't doing, I saw countless situations where players were marking themselves, running into crowds Theo style where they can't get the ball, make a quick little burst. But really, you haven't created separation between you and your man, so you're not going to get it. Forcing it, forcing the person on the ball to turn out, go the other side. There were countless times I saw like, Jack running across the centre midfield, running towards Iwobi and Colasinic. On the left-hand side, what you never do is you never be on the same line. You create a stagger, you create a different line. And they just stayed on the same line. And when the ball goes over, get dispossessed. It's just players that standing there, showing, but not really wanting the ball. And it's not about me picking on individual players. It just shows a lack of overall confidence. But it also shows something a little bit more underhand. It shows a little bit of... Um, about I'm looking after me today. I'm looking after what I'm doing. I'm making sure that I can play my five-yard pass. So when I look at stat zone later on, I can see that I've had like 70-odd percent, whatever. It's it's rather than taking the risks, rather than taking the, the extra you know, blind pass around the corner, they just took the safe options, going backwards, going around the side. And all this does is make, you know, make Brighton think, well, you know what? They're not that big. They're not that fast. They're not taking me. They're not taking me back towards my goal. They're playing in front of me. I'm getting breathers. If we get into their box, I think we can do them. I think we're bigger than them. I think we can. I think we're more robust. They don't want. They don't want it in the challenge. It's very British. All of this. It's very, very Anglo-Saxon. What I'm saying. But it's a key fundamental of football. You have to discourage people with maybe less talent than you. To say that when you turn up, you've got to say, well, we're going to compete with you. We're either going to compete with you technically or we're going to compete with you physically. We're going to move the ball really, really fast and we're going to absolutely make you exhausted or we're going to get you back on your heels. If you don't do that, you encourage people onto you. And it does not matter where they are in the league. It's all about how you impose your game onto your position. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid all we did was send a message out to say, we're vulnerable, we're slow, we don't want it. Do you want it? And that's what we did. And we opened the door and our experienced goalkeeper was the person we were focused on. But we opened the door to them yeah. to say, you can have your day-to-day -day versus Arsenal. Yeah, and we're lucky they didn't have any more pace up front because it could have been a lot more. Um, I, I think, you know, again, with the soft factors, Andrew, the idea that they didn't want it or that they weren't trying, you can, you can look at certain statistics or certain elements of the game to try to infer whether this was just a lack of quality or a lack of effort. And one thing that really stands out to me, and I, I'm not a big believer in using statistics like expected goals to make kind of granular observations, but one thing that stands out is after 36 minutes, we were behind 1.8 to 0 0.2 on XG at Brighton. Um, you know, that, and, and I tweeted this out. That's worse than we had been against City. That's worse than in any of the 10-2 aggregate loss to Bayern. I mean, that is really epically terrible. And... Um, so to me, the, the question then becomes, how are you being 
eviscerated by Brighton that badly early in the game, and especially after these players' meetings, and clearly there's an, there's an acknowledgement that there's a problem within the club. I mean, do you buy into the idea that the players were not giving their all, are not up for it? Is, is this the proverbial downing of tools? Uh, it's so hard, isn't it? Because you, you can't really say without getting inside the minds of the players, but if you look at them and you ask... Are they capable of better? Yes. Every single one of them is capable of better. Are they capable of more physically? Yes. Could they compete better? Yes. Uh, Other could than that. They, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think what was really telling for me was uh, Shane Duffy at the back for Brighton won every single one of his headers practically. He was winning headers in midfield. He was winning headers in our box after they scored. They had a succession of corners. Uh, they could have scored a couple more from corners. It was players who weren't giving everything they could give to defend those situations. And it was true all over the pitch, to be honest, that there were players who, as Clive was saying, were, were kind of hiding in plain sight. If you stand there in the middle of three or four defenders and you're, you're calling for the ball, um, you know, you're showing that you want the ball or ostensibly you want the ball, but you know you're not going to get it because nobody's going to pass it to you with that many people around you. Or if they do, it's a stupid pass. Yeah, I submit to you that Shaka might try to make that pass. But, you know. <laughs> well, he might, you know, but I mean, I, I, in the circumstances, I wouldn't question that. At least it will be trying something that's a little bit different. But you can see sometimes in the way that we play how we pass the ball to each other. What's the pace on the ball? How hard do we hit the ball at each other? And when Arsenal are playing well and when we're on it, you can see that we really zip the ball and we really fire the ball into feet. And you could see, you know, that pass that Xhaka makes, that kind of floaty one. It's inch perfect. It lands at the feet of the defender, but it floats through the air. And by the time the ball lands with our player, the opposition have got themselves organized and sorted and they can deal with it defensively. Brighton sat deep. They stayed organized. We tried to play right down the middle as we do. We tried to play in in some uh, key parts of the game the way we played with Olivier Giroud in the team, uh, playing intricate passes on the edge of the box back to goal. We were looking for a flick around the box. We don't have Olivier Giroud to play those passes anymore. And there was just a lack of imagination or an unwillingness on the part of any of the creative players to take risks, to do something that might change the game, that might open up some space, that might do anything, something to provide some incision. And it was really disheartening to see, not, not simply in the first half, because you know we've seen Arsenal have bad first halves and come out maybe a bit better. And we were better in the second half. There's no question we were better in the second half than we were in the first, but what did we create? No, very little. And, and I mean, to you. The Aubameyang chance towards the end. That was it. Yeah, that was really. it. And, and by the way, I, I want to give Shaka a little bit of his due because we're picking on him a bit. Obviously, I think he's had a very bad season. He was arguably one of our better performers on the day. Yeah, um, I wasn't necessarily d trying to criticize no, Shaka. I was just saying that just as in terms of the way that he plays or the way that he hits those passes. I mean, there was a, uh, w one moment, actually, I put a... Uh, uh, a note I was doing the live blog on on Ars blog and it was around the 14 minute mark and Callum Chambers made a run and he overlapped Mkhitaryan I think and he didn't get the pass and I was just watching him not make his way back to where he should have been he walked he just walked back strolled back I remember that do you remember it yeah I do can my we, son's a fullback and I said to him mate that's not a recovery run no. That's exactly what I was talking about earlier on. If you do that, that's the message that it sends to everybody that you don't really care about getting back into your hole. 
Yeah. And I said it sends out a shocking message. And I actually pointed out to my son, who is a right back as Do well. Do you know a, you know the little sad theme music that sometimes plays in the show Arrested Development? Like yes. that, that little sad riff. Every time I see Callum Chambers now, I just hear that little sad Arrested Development riff in my head because uh, he's going through such a tough time. And Well, well real quick, Andrew, with you, um, I, I guess one of the things that is – something Arson has talked about a lot. And before we come on to Arson's responsibility and all this, and indeed maybe uh, the board and, and Stan Kroenke and uh, the globe and global warming and, and space aliens and everything else, but uh, is the question of integrating new pieces. And the manager talks about it can be destabilizing if you sign too many players in a window or lose too many players. And I sort of wonder, while we fully acknowledge that the manager owns some of this, there is a part of me that looks at it and says Mkhitaryan just arrived, Aubameyang just arrived and can only play in the league, and Mkhitaryan couldn't play in the League Cup final, and Callum Chambers is playing right back, which I don't think he's done this season in the league at all. Um, you have Jack Wilshire. I guess you could say he's kind of been integrated now, but didn't spend last season with us. There are a lot of new pieces. We got rid of pieces that had great familiarity, and that can have a destabilizing impact. I mean, is there a part of you that thinks... You know, when you talk about slick passing and zipping the ball to feet, part of that is knowing your teammate, your partnerships, your movement, where to expect people to be. Do you think there's just been too much turnover, too much of a destabilizing force, especially when you think of Alexis and what a focal point Alexis was and how everybody looked to get him the ball and then was very passive in letting him make that first dribble and create in the build-up phase. Do you think that this this reinvention of the squad is, is a part of the problem, that the players just don't know how to work together and they're not getting the instruction how to work together? I think probably yes, but I, I don't think it's necessarily to do with the new players. I don't think it's really down to the fact that we have new players. I don't think it's clear what we're trying to do or what the instructions are when we go out on the pitch. And it applies to substitutions as well. When you send, uh, send Danny Welbeck on, what are you asking him to do? What role are you asking him to play? And why can't why wouldn't he play two up front either? I, he just I don't understand look, that for the life of me. I, I don't know. I mean, we we um, we look at Aubameyang, and I think we maybe have to look at Lacazette in a slightly different light based on what we're seeing with the way that we play with Aubameyang. We know what kind of player he is, right? We all know what kind of player he is because we watched the videos with Dormund and we read the scouting reports and we read the people who told us exactly what kind of a player he is. He's a guy who needs service in the box, and if you get him service in the box, he'll score you goals because he's a deadly finisher. But we don't play like a team that's set up to give him that service. And I don't quite understand what way this team is trying to play, what what way they're trying to play football, what their attacking philosophy is, what the defensive philosophy is. There's certainly no midfield philosophy as far as any of us can make out because it's just a, a hodgepodge mess in there. Uh, of uh, assorted players, a random co collection of players from week to week. We don't know. I'll tell you another thing that uh, struck me was at certain points in that second half, I was looking at us going, we've too many left-footed players in this team. We'd no way of changing, uh, switching the play as quickly as we should have. Shaka, uh, Ozil, Jack yes, Wilshire, yeah. midfield. You know, it was all far too left-footed. And I know you don't hear that if it's right-footed players, but I think there's something a little bit different about left-footed players. Well, left-footed players tend to be more one-footed is part of the problem. Yeah, there is an, a, an element of that. But um, I, I don't think it's a question of the new players finding it hard to work their way into our system. I think it's just new players in a system that we already don't know 
what we're doing or what yeah. the, what the, what the, what we're supposed to be at. I just can't see it. I, I guess you know can what I, I would say. I, and yeah, sure. Just one second, Clive, so that I can obviously okay. say what I have to say. Given that you know, absolutely, nobody wants, go no, ahead. Sir. Nobody's actually here to hear that. But um, I, I mean. I, wouldn't we all agree that when Arsene Wenger has been at his best, he's never been a manager who's great at rotating and managing a big squad, that his his strength has really been finding an 11 that works and putting that 11 out there for the most part. I don't think he's a great squad manager. Can you guys think of two games in a row? When was the last time we had the same starting 11, two games in a row? I mean, it's got to be going way, way back now. And because he rotated so much for Carabao Cup and Europa... Whereas in Champions League seasons, these teams got to play together twice a week. I mean, Clive, isn't it, isn't it possible that what's missing for Arsenal is the, the, the recipe that's been so successful for him for years is finding an 11, letting them play together, especially because his whole thing is jazz. In order to play jazz, musicians have to play together a lot so they can understand each other. And there has been no continuity of lineup throughout this season. I think we're, I've just, I've just watched Manchester United play just now. And it's amazing how much they're passing the ball into Alexis. Right? He's a player that almost sets your offensive pattern going. He's almost like the LeBron James. He is the system. Right? You ha- have to go through him. He's ball dominant. And I think for the last couple of years, we haven't really noticed our offensive patterns have been really, really lazy. They've been about pass, 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 pass. Can we get it into Alexis? Can we get it into Ozil? And then we go. And that's what it's been about. And on the last few weeks, we've been pass, 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 pass. No one's prepared to come and get it and take a risk. No one's prepared to turn around and dribble. If Ozil's been, been compressed or marked out or sick, we, we, ha- we can't get it into him. Right? So, and so basically, we've lost our offensive kingpin and we've become offensively lazy pattern-wise. And what's really noticeable against Brighton, we had no exit strategy. We had no build-up play. We'd go down to the, to the sidelines. We'd get boxed in and trapped on each sideline and just kick the ball out. I mean, how many times did Colatina just kick the ball out? He had no option. When Alexis was there, he'd get the ball fizz into his feet. He'd punch it around the corner. Alexis would come and meet it, turn around, out the other side, we're off. Right, so we have become lazy. We've been hiding behind his skirts, and now we've got to go out there and do it ourselves. And so, what are we left with? So we're left with Jack playing hero ball, driving through the centre of the field until he gets fouled or doesn't get fouled. He's trying to get us going. Jack is just passing. Right, Özil depends what mood he's in. He had a great shot yesterday uh, against Brian, and that seemed to spark us off until the injury came along and and quelled that bit of pressure. And so we're we're struggling for that offensive leadership and connection and devil and we've lost it and we've replaced it with no 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 fault against him i like to play i don't like how we're using him but mkhitaryan's another urzil wants to build to play wants to get the rhythm going but we've got no devil we've got no connection we've got no speed we can't connect to abamayang and so that's why he looks isolated and without service go ahead mate I was going to ask you, how much do you think this is down to the fact that we haven't had a, a, a functional central midfield for such a long time, that the inability to connect the areas of the pitch means that the, there's a disjointedness to the way that we attack? Um, I, I really feel like so much of what's wrong with us is down to central midfield, that there's nobody to link those areas of the pitch together. Well, it, it it all comes back to how you see football. And I've always said this, centre midfield is a style thing. It depends on your own personal stories and, and how you want your centre midfield to be. I, I'm a 
I'm a fan of Patrick Vieira, right? So when I look at my centre midfield, I want to see someone that says, I'm the man, I'm owning it, right? Well, you've, got, you've all got problems. And if you come in here with me, you're going to have a bigger problem. Right? When I get the ball, I'm taking it past you. And I'm gonna, I can go one touch, I can run straight through you. I like people to be in centre midfield and own the space. I like another one, like a bit more of a, a dribbler, connector. And I like to have somebody in front that says, my role is to look around me and see what my full-backs are doing, see where we have gaps, see where my centre-backs have maybe got attracted to the ball, where I need to drop in there. I, need to, I like to see real clear roles and dominance in centre midfield because then... If you, Arsenal Wenger's best teams have always had one way forward. They just want to play, want to create. They don't want to work two ways. They're not two-way players. Ozil's not a two-way player. You know, we don't want him running back and we're judging him on defending. We don't, when we had Sanchez, we don't want him in a left-back situation. We want them going forward. And I just think I like my midfielders to be like that. Other people like the, the Ramses, who likes to break forward, box to box, be a little less structured, try to run past centre forwards. That's not what I like to see. I appreciate the player, but I don't see Arsenal doing anything on a league perspective because we haven't got consistent dominance in the centre of the pitch. And we get dominated, we get outrun, we mm -hmm. get out-recovered, and, and we're not going to have a league type team until we switch how we see centre midfield and we need to have that presence and that connection at the moment we have really good players that can do some really good things but for me they're not a midfield they're just a collection of people in the wrong position a collection of number eights yeah we haven't got a six we well, haven't got a four we yeah. haven't got a we haven't got a ten do you see what i mean well if you, if yeah. you think that's bad wait till i talk to you about our wide forwards because <laughs> i mean if you look around the well, league we got any of those. well th this is the thing that strikes me who are the best players in the league right now sane mane sala um sterling uh uh, hazard, you know these players that play in wide forward positions. Oxley Chamberlain, I guess, was and and maybe Theo Walcott to some extent were the ones we had. We don't have them anymore. And players like Awobi and Mkhitaryan, they're not really wide forwards. Um, they they don't have that explosiveness. They don't have the the goals in them. Certainly, the end product in them. And I, I think we're worse for that because what we wind up doing is we compensate by having our fullbacks get way up the pitch, and then Koscielny and Mustafi are isolated against counterattacks and long balls that they can't handle. So it all definitely contributes. I think it is stunning how little uh, talent we have and, and threat we have from wide positions. And, Andrew, one of the things that I think is glaring now are, are some of the young players who are really being infected by the toxicity in the squad and team right now. You know, Mesedoza will be fine eventually. Aubameyang will be fine. These kinds of players, you know, Aaron Ramsey will be fine. These players back themselves. They have big careers both ahead of and behind them. Players like Alex Awobi, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Callum Chambers, Rob Holding, that's not the case with them. And you look at Awobi and you see a player who, from the beginning of last season when he was one of the first names on the team sheet, to being in the reserves during the, the doldrums of our season last season, to now looking totally shot for confidence, you see the impact that this rod is having on these young players. I mean, how worried are you about someone like Awobi not fulfilling the potential he showed because he's at the club at a time when a young player doesn't have a platform to succeed. Yeah, you can't help but be worried. 
Uh, I remember I was there in Barcelona the night that Arsene Wenger dropped Theo Walcott and brought Alex Iwobi in. And it was like, well, look, he had to do, it was one of those moments where he had to do something. And he came into the team and he was exciting and he was strong and he was quick and he, he looked like a smart, intelligent player. And like so many others, he's, he's hit the wall. And what apparently uh, happens when young players hit the wall at Arsenal is they're left to their own devices to work it out for themselves. They're not given the guidance. They're not given the arm around the shoulder. They're not given the, uh, the coaching that they require to get them through a period which is not uncommon for young players where they come into a team, they're fresh, they don't have any pressure, they're free to perform and they can shine. And then after a while, they're, they're, there grows a level of expectation and the ability or the need for them to pr produce consistently and it's a it's a fairly normal career trajectory that they find it a bit hard, but then they push on, they get the guidance, they get the advice that they need. And the young players at Arsenal, I think it's pretty clear that they don't get that. They're told, or they're not told rather, how to get through periods like this. And I think in some ways, it, it maybe, uh, you know, I didn't really see a huge amount wrong with Iwobi staying up a bit late, you know, but... If you're getting the right career advice and if you're being told to stay on the right track, that's not the kind of thing that you do. And, you know, I know he's a young man and, and everything else. We've all been young and done silly things and everything else. But some of us really have been old and done silly things, too, for the record. Absolutely. I, you know, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was getting to that. But, um, yeah, it is it is very worrying because you see young players come through. It, it's happened with Iwobi. It's, uh, I don't know if it's quite happened yet with Maitland-Niles, but, but whatever the manager saw in him to play him, at left back, uh, out of position in the first team, he's not seeing it anymore because he's not picking him. We've seen it with Hector Bellerin, for example, a, a really exciting young talent who who appears to have plateaued. Um, you've got other young players. I mentioned it on the Arscast Extra today. Reese Nelson, who is one of the big hopes at youth level at Arsenal, isn't signing a new contract as it stands and who could well decide that his future lies elsewhere because he's seen what's happened to his mates. He's seen what happened to some of the young players who've been given a chance, but then what happens when times get difficult? There's no real understanding from fans who are demanding performance. Iwobi is quite the cartoon villain at this moment in time without too much understanding. I'm not saying he's playing brilliantly or that he couldn't do more. He couldn't work harder, et cetera, et cetera. But let's look at it in the wider context of the young players that come through to Arsenal. They get to a certain level and then that's it. They stop. And unless you're brilliant and something of a genius like Cesc Fabregas, you hit that wall and you find it very hard to get beyond it. Well, Fabregas learned how to play football yeah, watching the Invincibles, too. You know? Yeah, but look at, look at the names. Fabregas was a unique player, a unique genius. But look at all the young players. And you can go back as far as, and you might laugh at the names. People were, people were very excited about Philippe Senderos. They're excited about Johan Juru. They're excited about Gail Clichy. They're excited about, uh, I can't even think, Danielson when he first arrived. People were really excited about Danielson, Diaby. You know, I know he had his injuries or issues with injury. But, you know, there's a pattern that goes back a long way with young players who come in, get to a level, and never, ever, ever go beyond it. And we're seeing it again. And, of course, it's worrying. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, look, most young players don't make it, so we, we know that. But you can look at players who made it into the squad and then couldn't kick on, like a Kieran Gibbs. Um, you know, I think you're seeing it with a Wobie right now. These are players who are clearly good enough to be playing at the top level, 
but they get into the team and they, they are not given either the instruction or the support or the the leadership from players, the mentoring from other players to get to the level they need to. And, you know, I worry. I mean, Maitland-Niles looks like a really, really big talent, but since getting dragged off at halftime against Ostersunds, the manager hasn't used him. And I just wonder if the manager is taking out some frustrations on some of these players. I mean, Rob Holding, we haven't, we haven't seen or heard from him since then. So I don't know where that goes. I mean, Clive, as far as you're concerned, you know, I know you, you think about youth football a lot. Teams will come and go, and Obama Yangs will come and go, Alexis Sanchez's will come and go, but the players that move through your academy, you know, I know you certainly feel a deeper connection to them and feel that they're part of the lifeblood of your, of your club. Do you worry for this crop of what seems to be a very talented crop of, of youngsters uh, not being able to achieve their potential because they are around at a time of such destabilizing change at the club? You know what I hadn't what Andrew was talking about there. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Well, that's because um, he's much cleverer yeah. than either of us. Well, then I'm going to take it a bit further, right? Okay. So then cool. I can remember. Do you remember when Aaron Ramsey had the choice of Arsenal and Manchester United? Do you remember? Yep. And he met Arsenal Wenger. I think he flew out to meet him, and he flew, he got his family out there. And the reason he signed for Arsenal is that basically Wenger mapped out his career for him in detail and I think Manchester United sent Gary Neville to meet him to show him around Old Trafford etc and he looked at that and he said crikey this man knows me so well he's got every bit of my career sorted and he signed for Arsenal for Manchester United if that situation was today what do you think would have happened I right? think he'd so, be in Manchester City <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this is what I'm trying to say it comes back to um this manager has done this all before. He was, if there was a young player on the market, we all knew he would choose us because of the way we thought he would get developed. But what's been happening is I think he's now lost the ability to really structure careers for these guys. And, and Mayla Niles is a great example, right? So he's got all the tools, physically unbelievable, can handle the physicality of the Premier League. We can all see that. He comes in, plays a couple of early games in centre midfield, just gets some experience. Then he goes into top level games, Chelsea, Liverpool at left at left wing back. We've got Hector Bellerin, who's in desperate need of a rest. It just makes natural sense. The next phase of his development is to maybe be the backup right back for a year or so. And then eventually, when he's about 21 and a half, maybe comes in at centre midfield. When he's had 50, 60 games in the top league, and he'll go into centre midfield, he's got a greater chance to succeed. What do we do? We go from left back, completely miss out the uh, the right opportunity, right side opportunity, and basically run our first choice right back into the ground to the point where he's seen to be plateauing and, and going backward. And then we throw him into a game in the Europa League in centre midfield, doesn't do very well, and then we, we park him. We park him completely. And now I'm looking at him and I'm wondering... What are we doing? Is he being managed correctly? What instruction is he getting? I'm looking at Iwobi, and Iwobi is a player who I was going to absolutely criticise tonight, but Andrew sort of stopped me doing that. But the reason why, <laughs> I, the reason why I wasn't, I, I actually I wasn't going to criticise anyway. Basically, my issue with Iwobi is he's throwing himself into the same hole that some of the experienced players have thrown themselves into, which means he's looking for an excuse not to work hard. I see him as a young player. As a young player, there's one thing you can do, and that's work really, really hard. And he did that when he got caught in the in the party stroke nightclub for a couple of games. He ran himself into the ground and looked like somebody that really wanted to 
repair the damage. But now he's gone back again to that player that says, I'm looking for an excuse. And this tells me, I mean, we all can surmise this. This tells me that basically the it's just the whole dressing room are just running on six out of ten energy. They're not pushing themselves too hard. They're doing just enough to try and con the fans to put in the effort in. They're doing just enough to to pad their statistics. They're doing just enough to keep the ball moving and not be embarrassed by giving the ball away. And they're not calling me because they're, they're hiding, right? They're not calling me at all. With, um, and the young players are suffering a little bit because of that. And they're suffering because the fans and people like me want to absolutely slaughter them when really it's no time to slaughter anybody because there's something bigger going on regarding playing for the manager. And so at the moment, it's probably not the time to slaughter whether you'll judge anyone. It's just a yeah. time to try to work out what's happening. Well, and part of it should be a meritocracy. I think one of the things that's really missing is it does not feel like the manager picks his players anymore based on performances. I remember, do you guys remember the, the Southampton FA Cup tie last season? They played their second 11, we played our second 11. And we were kind of in a, in a slump at the time. And that second 11 played really, really well. And there were players like Oxlade Chamberlain, for example, who had a central midfield role who just got dropped for the next game. Same with Maitland Niles. And, you know, if you're an Inketia right now, for example, why don't you deserve a shot in the San Siro against Milan on Thursday over Danny Welbeck? It's not happening for Danny right now. Why should Danny be ahead of him? Just because he's a senior player? I mean, you know, Cesc Fabregas scored in the San Siro against AC Milan. Why, you know, why can't it be a young Enkedia? And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that's the move, but you know, you look around and you see some of these players that aren't performing that continue to get picked, and it, I think it's very hard as a player to feel motivated when you know that there's not much that you're going to do to gain or lose your position. Uh, Andrew, let, let's have a little fun, though, because none of this <laughs> is any fun. Um, so let's say we get a new manager in the summer, and it's you. Congratulations. It's Jesus. A small bump in wages, but a huge bump in aggravation. Uh, so now you have to sell That's three you on players. my back. Oh, man. Yeah, you do not want that. Um, no. So, all right. I can block you on Twitter, though. I know how to do that. It's pretty easy. I recommend it. At Yankee Gunner, you just hit the block button. You never have to hear from me again. So the you have to sell three players this summer. Three players. Gone. You're going to replace them with... Whomever you want. I don't care who the replacements are. We don't need to go through world football. Just they're not going to be messy. They're going to be someone we could get, someone that's good that fits what we need. You have to pick three regular starters to get rid of this summer. Who are the three starters you'd replace with the goal of being right back in contention for top honors in England? Right, with with the idea that I could raise some money. Um, I think Danny Welbeck would be one. I don't think it's really happened for for Danny. Um I think the injuries have pretty much wrecked his his Arsenal career. I don't dispute that he could go on and have uh, a good time somewhere else. Um, Petr Cech is another one who I would replace, whether I sold him or not. I think Ospina will probably leave. So there's maybe um, can I can I no get you, ha- away you with have to sell him. You have to sell I have to sell him. him. He, okay, he, you can't okay. just relegate him. You got to sell him. Okay, I'll sell him. Um, I will sell him. Okay, so you've um, sold Welbeck and Check. You've only got one more sale to make, and there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, bad players in this squad. So pick away. Um, is is selling? Does Jack Wilshire count if he leaves on a free on a Bosman? 
Um, so, so you want your cake and eat it too. You're going to say, I'm not going to re-sign Jack and I'm going to sell someone else. It's quite fluid, you know? Um, no, you have to pick three regular starters in the first team who you are selling. They are leaving and you're going to replace them. And those three changes alone are going to take us to where we need to be next season. Fuck. I mean, I don't know that that's possible, but, um, okay. I would sell... Uh, there's a correct Jack, answer uh, well, to this question, by the way. There, there, there's a three-person correct answer. Okay, well, I'm going with Jack, I'm going with Welbeck, and I'm going with Xhaka. Okay. I, I mean, I think you got two of the three. So, Clive, um, do you want to take your shot at this real quick? Just real quick, three names? Uh, I'll go Czech, Welbeck, but I would probably Czech go... Really? Yeah, I would. Uh, but I would probably go... Mustafi. Oh, there it is. So between the See, two was, of you, you got it. <laughs> between I the was two thinking, of you. I was thinking of it, but I was looking at the age profile of our center halves, and I'm looking yeah. at Chambers and wondering, is he going to do it? Rob Holding, I like, but Koscielny, look, he's in the, the, the not the death throes, but certainly in the, the, the winter of his career now at this point. You know, um, Mertesacker's retiring, Monreal. You know, I, I'm not a fan necessarily of Mustafi. But what what gives me some vague hope about him is that he is capable of those nine out of tens at time yeah. uh, at times. And if you got a new manager in who was a bit more defensively focused, perhaps he could take him on. And it was just in terms of who we could replace or who who what what kind of cover we've got for the other positions. Mustafi is at twenty five, twenty six, one of, uh, a center half who's got a few years left under his belt. Yeah, I guess my, my yeah, argument I, with selling Danny Welbeck is just we've got Lacazette and Aubameyang, so I don't know that Welbeck is holding us back by being a third option who can be a sort of an agent of chaos, hard-running, physical forward that's in the squad. I think you've got to get rid of Shaka and replace him with someone that has more of the athletic or technical qualities you need. You've got to get rid of Czech, as you guys mentioned, because we need a first-choice keeper. Um, and then I would have picked Mustafi, although Koscielny is fine. I think you have to get one of those two out and replaced with the right age profile and the right quality profile i think that the thing Can i for change me, my mind uh, please change <laughs> your mind yeah because I, I would i know you wanted me to say mustafi that's why i said i, it, but I would actually i would actually sell chambers actually uh, i think that's the one i think should go i think holding has a chance i think he can come back what about Panos? he's gonna fix all the problems and uh, I think Holding has a chance. Maybe he should go on loan and see what happens. But I think Chambers can get some money for. And I think he's had more experience at the top level and he needs to play. So I would I would bail on him. I've always felt him and Holding were quite close. You had to choose one. And uh, I sort of agree with Andrew really about Mustafi. If you can't, you've got to really back your 25-year-olds. We haven't got many. We've got rid of a few. We need that middle section. We've got them either too young or too old. So um, I would definitely go for Chambers. Yeah, well, let's do this. I want to come back to one thing in the game, and then I've got another fun game to play for us because uh, those are a lot more fun than debating the actual football. But uh, in terms of one thing that happened on the pitch, Andrew, we saw Jack Wilshire go into a really hard challenge, a bad challenge, I think, and it, it got the away fans sort of on their feet behind the team, although – I sort of questioned that. And then we saw Kolasinac maybe lucky to escape a straight red card. I thought it was a pretty reckless challenge where he just targeted the man and, and took him out with his shoulder. And uh, it was sort of a scary scene as he was lying there concussed on the ground and teetering off the pitch. Are, when I see that, you know, I see those are the behaviors of players like we used to see done to us when we were 
passing teams off the pitch and they couldn't get near us and they just react rashly and with frustration. Some people characterize that as, oh, good, finally some players that care. You know, when Jackie, Super Jackie Wilshire goes in diving in with two feet, it's like finally someone showing some passion. To me, it's the most selfish, brainless play because it's saying this is pissing me off and I'm just going to do something that makes me feel good to the detriment of the team and to the detriment of this other professional who's done nothing to deserve this. What's your reaction to seeing players sort of losing their control and their composure in that way? I think aggression and and that is certainly part of the game and you've got to be able to channel it in the right way. And I thought it was really telling of how little we had to offer that the thing that got the Arsenal fans cheering and singing uh, was Wilshire's foul. And it was, a, it was a foul. It was a nasty foul. It was a yellow card. And I think it speaks volumes about where we are. I mean, we've all been there on a football pitch. You're frustrated if you're not playing well, if your team is not playing well around you. It's easy to lose the rag and it's easy to maybe take it out on an opponent who, who doesn't really deserve it. I think it speaks to a wider frustration that I think the players must be feeling. I think Wilshire is very much a he's a heart on his sleeve kind of guy. He's quite aggressive. Um, I think we saw him involved when the Brighton players took exception to the Kolasinac uh, challenge and Wilshire, uh, his first thought was, okay, we're in for a fight here. And maybe the, the right reaction is uh, I should be worried about the guy who's lying twitching on the ground. Uh, having seen it happen to one of my own teammates last year, Hector Bellerin, if, if you remember at Chelsea with Marcus Alonso. But, you know, some players are like that. They're spiky. They want to get involved, and it's what drives them. And I think fans can identify with that uh, quite well, that they want to stick up for their teammates. Um, we've had a lack of that at Arsenal down the years where we've had things go against us and Arsenal players haven't backed each other up on the pitch or we've been physically intimidated and we haven't been able to... Uh, to be there for each other, and it, it is a big part of being a team. Uh, and, a good and point. So, from, yeah, the the Gabriel Costa one really sticks in my mind as an example of that. It was one a few years ago, I remember, like a good few years ago, and it was Arsenal against Liverpool, and Mikel Arteta got taken out off the ball by I think it was could have been Jordan Henderson who who did something similar to what Kalasinek did to the other guy. It wasn't quite as 50-50, but what he did was, as they were going past each other, he looked where Arteta was, and he turned his shoulder into him and knocked him flat and straight out on the ground. And there was nothing from the Arsenal players. There was no fight. There was no uh, getting Henderson or whoever it was uh, by the scruff of the neck and pulling him up and taking him to task for that. And it's it's been a problem, I think, because you do need that bit of aggression. You do need players who will back each other up and who are ready to fight because it it, put, it, it creates some doubt and uncertainty in the minds of the opposition that if if you're playing football and you know the opposite team are at each other's throats, it's the best thing in the world. If they're if they're complaining at each other, if they're not willing to uh, to go toe to toe for each other, it's the easiest thing in the world, and th there's been too much of that. But I think the Wilshire thing and and the fact that that's what got people excited, that little bit of um, reckless aggression, it says a lot about our football. It says a, a lot about the way that we play at this moment in time, and it says a lot about how low the bar is for us as fans to be. Um. I won't say excited, but to react positively to something that we're doing on the pitch. Like that was the thing that got fans singing most. It was even more than the goal. I mean, did you hear the silence when the goal went in? 
It was I, I honestly <laughs> thought that at, in that moment, and I, I can, can I be can I be collapse or something? Well, can I be completely honest with you? And I, I'm not saying yeah. this because I'm a cunt. I mean, I am, but that's not why I'm saying this. Uh, there was a small part of me that was not disappointed that we scored, but was like ready to just accept another loss as part of the process we're going through and wasn't really in the mood anymore for us to even turn it around. You know, like I had I had totally switched off to the idea that we could get something from this game or that it mattered. I, I think that's the point, right? The fans can still get their blood lifted by, by a fight, by a, a stern challenge, but I think as far as the competitiveness of the game, I think that it's long since stopped being in people's minds at that point. I mean, were you were you really invested in the outcome of the game at that point? Did you feel invested in that? Or had the larger narrative of failure and of the manager and all the things that we've been debating sort of taken over for you how you were experiencing that game? Were you even processing it anymore in terms of three points in the league? Because I had kind of disconnected from it that way. It, Not to say that I'm rooting for us to lose, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like, no, no I, I, I can't help it, right? I, I I was watching that first half in in complete shock, and um, and when we scored, I was happy we scored, and we should have scored again before half time, and I would have took it. Uh, I think, I think the situation with the manager, I think it's done. I don't think he's going to get past the summer, so I've made that decision many months ago, and now it's becoming more and more crystallised, and it could even potentially happen in the next couple of weeks. And and when I saw those incidents happen with with Jack and with Colasini, I was not disappointed i think as a footballer when things are not going right where do you go and the first thing you do is you you got to start competing and if i look for little positives on the day i think we're refinding colasinic actually i think he's looking he's not looking you know as bad as he was he's lost a bit of weight he seems more mobile he seems more motivated and also if you noticed it he was starting to talk and push people around and tell them where to stand. I think he's had enough of being a little a little boy has come to Arsenal and this is a big club. He's saying, you know what, I know what to do. I'm a strong man, I'm a leader, and I'm going to start talking now because no one else is doing it. And I think we're refinding him. And I'm not saying it, I'm not saying we've got the best left back in the world, but I think he was bought as a win back and he's now got to adjust to be in the back four. But I think we're starting to see him return. And I remember at the start of the year, I was hugely impressed by him. I saw him live a few times and he was the number one player on the pitch for me on multiple times. So it's there. And so to see someone like that fighting back, not prepared to accept it, I'm okay with it. And I'm okay with some of what Jack done to receive the ball in tight areas, not hide, but say, give it to me and mean it. And then turn around and then take it to the opposition when other players just weren't prepared to do that. And for small little positives, those were mine on the day. I was, I was, for little patches, I was quite impressed with a pair of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually thought the goal, was, the goal was a good goal, by the way. <laughs> you know, that Shaka pass, that the Aubameyang finish. But, and by the way, you guys, I, I want to be clear about saying, I think, you know, squaring up to the opposition when they're coming after your teammate, getting each other's back, I absolutely think that's to be celebrated. That is distinct from going in two-footed or clearing somebody out who's uh, you know a innocent victim of of an assault on the pitch you know and gets knocked clean out i don't i don't think those two things are necessarily the same now well andrew I, you know one thing that you've been i think pretty vocal about and clear on is that as much of the the blame for this needs to be laid at arson's feet and certainly a great deal of it does and i i think all of us would say that we're ready for change manager quite clearly 
you you've also said that you believe the board own a lot of this and I certainly agree with that to some extent, but we've at least seen some changes in trying to bring in Sven and trying to bring in Raul. And I think Gazidis, aside from pretty much, I think it's accepted as fact that he was sort of overruled about not keeping Arsene on in the summer. And he's gone about his business trying to do other things at the club. If you had to sort of rank right now, who has the greater responsibility for the current situation between the manager, the players, the board slash Stan, who for you has the greatest degree of responsibility for the immediate situation? Well, obviously, Arsene Wenger, because he is the man in charge and he's always had the power at Arsenal. And basically, this is his team, the team that he's built with the money that he spent, with the coaches that he's brought in, with the training and the motivation and the team selection and everything else is entirely on Arsene Wenger. What what troubles me is the the extent to which we are, as a club, allowing him to be the only focus of the frustration and the problems that we have with, with what's going on. You can point to the appointments of a head of recruitment and the director of football, because that's what Raul is basically uh, in everything but name. He is a director of football. Um, they're positive. Um, they're obviously there for the future and to help us, uh, put in place the structures that we're going to need when Arson goes eventually, whenever that might be, whether it's next week or the end of the season or the end of next season. Um, but I do think that there is a part of what's going on at this football club, which is a bit, I think James used the word undignified on the Arscast Extra today in the sense that if you want to hear about uh, the club's new washing machine partner in Australasia, Ivan Gazidis will be front and center. He'll be right there. You'll be hearing everything that you need to hear from him. But when the chips are down, he's nowhere to be found. He's nowhere to be seen. We know that Stan Kroenke is silent Stan, and we can't really expect a great deal more from him. I mean, I think we should. I think we should expect a bit more from the majority shareholder of a club, but we know what he's like. It's so just not realistic, yeah. It's just not realistic, right? But I, you know, ideally, your majority shareholder should be somebody who's a bit more involved than that. But Gazidis is nowhere. There was no board representation at the uh, the Brighton game the other day. Um, I don't know why that would be. I don't know what else Ivan Gazidis has got to do um, with, with the two and a half million pounds that he's paid every single year. It, it was the same situation last year when the issue of Wenger's contract was... Uh, being replayed over and over and over and over again. And he was left in the firing line. And I'm not making any excuses for him, but he was left in the firing line while nobody else at the club even uh, poked their head around the door. They were nowhere to be found. Gazidis was nowhere until such time as he was reportedly uh, overruled and Wenger was given a new contract, at which point Gazidis went on a PR offensive and did a number of interviews and told everyone how Arsene was a world-class manager and the best manager we could find and how the aim was to win the, the, uh, the Premier League and to, re- you know, to bring success back, real success back to the club. And I'm not dismissing the FA Cups in any way, but that was, that was when we heard from Gazidis. And I, I find it hard to tally the two things. I know he's got to be a company man. I know he's got to be on message. But you don't have to be that much of a hypocrite. 
I mean, w- that if you disagreed with if you disagreed with the Wenger appointment, all you have to do is release a perfunctory statement to say we're delighted that Arsene is staying and we're hoping that he will bring success back to the club. Don't do a ten minute interview where you tell the world what a brilliant, amazing man he is when, by all accounts, you don't you don't believe a word of it. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I mean, I guess the question is, does he feel some burden to? try to get the supporters on side and make it look like the club is unified behind the manager because he knows that the supporters are so ready to turn on this manager as it is. Man. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, and then look, I'm, I'm playing amateur psychologist. I have no idea. And I, I certainly agree with you that it's a challenging situation. What I would, what I would ask you is, do you think the whole catalyst for change thing, which was kind of ridiculed, actually turned out to come to fruition to some extent with what he's been doing behind the scenes, that the catalyst for change was actually to start building for a future without Arsene. I mean, you could argue that last summer would have been a good time for Arsene to leave, but that the club was had not positioned itself properly for that change, and that the, the agreement, so to speak, behind closed doors was we keep Arsene, we put the structures into place so that we can move on from him. I mean, is, it, is that too generous an interpretation? No, I mean, I think that has to be it. I mean, the, it was something I've uh, I've written about and spoken about a number of times, and certainly long before this happened. It was the idea that that Arsenal needed to start modernising the football structures at the club, the, the scouting department, some of the coaching uh, elements of the club. That we, uh, for all the modernisation that Arsene Wenger did, when you have the one man in charge operating in the same way. It's not that you get necessarily left behind, but other people do different things and you don't need to do them per se. But it, it is clearly a positive thing that these new guys are there. They're obviously going to be there to support whoever the new head coach is, a new manager is, whatever we want to call him. That He's got a head of recruitment. We'll have a chief executive. We'll have the director of football. Um and those structures are obviously there, and that, and that is a positive thing. I think that the point you make about whether the club was ready for change last year, I don't think it was, but it still doesn't mean that we've been uh, we shouldn't have done this a long time ago. I think we should have put these people in place way before now yes. uh, and taken some of the control away from Arsene Wenger before now. And uh, perhaps we're paying the price for that this season by what we're seeing on the pitch. That is, it's happened, but it's happened too late. Yeah, I, and, and those I, people ultimately are responsible for that. That's totally fair. I, the the thing I really wonder, I wonder if they had asked Arson to allow them to start to put these structures into place, and he had said, "I will not work under that condition." Um, I, again, I that I am probably taking the dimmest possible view of Arson and the most generous view of the the people running the club, and there's there's no evidence for doing that. I just I sort of wonder what it was like trying to approach Arson with this idea because he's on record with his disdain for the idea of a director of football. Um, so it's it's just really think, have, go ahead go ahead you have, to, you have to think about it right he's I try given, not to but sure fire away. just think it through right? he's given us 20 years of Champions League football the only period we could go to him and say this isn't quite working was the one year that we were not in a Champions League that's when his position was not he hadn't reached his targets especially so if the board to, had said to him your minimum target is Champions League and oh by the way you've also well, we, won we, FA Cup so yeah we're making assumptions, right? We're making assumptions that these targets are top four always. And he hasn't hit his targets. So the first time, he was weaker, right? So I think um, Gazidis and many people on the board wanted him to go last year. I don't think the club was ready. And the rumour is that he went straight to Stan and got his contract done and and caught everyone off guard. And so Gazidis did what I think is a smart move. He repositioned himself. He said, well, I, I haven't won the day, but I can 
if I use my brain correctly, I can be really bold, come out big, and start to make change from within. And that's the only way we can we can depower depower the guy. And then, and I think he's done a very good job. And all that's happening right now is just political. It's just um, people not aligning themselves to the current regime because they know the regime is not going to last too long. Right, so, and I and I've been convinced it's always was a one year. It's always about this is a David Moyes season. Basically, we're having it with the same manager on board. Right, so, and and if I'm if I'm wrong and it goes to two years, then oh, I, I'll be devastated. But I just think we are moving towards the end of this chapter, and the players are telling you that by what they're doing. It's World Cup year. Some are looking after their legs. They're not going to get themselves put their heads in set pieces against big guys like Dunk and Duffy, whatever they. And they're not going to do it, right? They're going to they're going to look after themselves. When we have our moment in the Europa League, I think we might see a little bit more pizzazz from the group. But really, I think the players are aligning themselves to themselves. I think the people that have been brought in, we haven't heard a single word from any of them, which means they're aligning themselves to themselves and waiting for change. And we've got some players who have signed big contracts, some players that have come on board on big wages. And I heard Andrew talk about it today, and I totally agree. Why do you think they've done that? They they must have been told something. They're not stupid. So something is about to happen. And I think we are preparing for the next phase. And it's just toughening out at the moment. We're going for the end. Of, we're going through the end stage of this process, and we potentially have got a couple of big games on the Thursday night to go through. If they go well, great. So what's back in the Champions League? If they don't, it's almost a certainty that that change will happen sooner. What has? To, I mean, look, they've, they've just put three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week into Mesodozo. They've got twenty-nine-year-old Mkhitaryan. They've got a huge money invested in and about to be twenty-nine-year-old Aubameyang. They don't have the luxury of time because of the way the squad's been built. They have to start making some decisions. Um, And what probably needed to be a rebuild can't even really be a rebuild right now because of all the money we've put into players that have very little sell-on value or that we've tied to huge contracts. Clive, real quick, and I want to be respectful of everyone's time because I know we're coming up on an hour, but um, do you buy into any of the conspiracy theory thoughts with respect to Bellerin and, and Ramsey not being in the squad that maybe Bellerin's off, Ramsey's off, there's been news of that? I mean, do you worry that there's more to it than resting them for Milan? No, Bellerin needed a rest. We all knew that. He should have been rested for Ostersunds, but yeah, he ends up missing a lead game. So I think, you know, the guy just needs a rest, that's all. And Ramsey, we're not talking about the most durable athlete we have. Um, <laughs> he, and so, you know, he needs to rest more. You know, I, I think we sh- he's had so many... He, he missed another 13, 14 games this year, quietly over Christmas, just like that, done. And he, and he, he just needs to look after him. He, ha- he is not a durable athlete he suffers fatigue injuries and we have to rotate him a lot more so i don't yeah. see any issues there end of year let's see what happens with ramsey I, i've always had a feeling how this story is going to end um but let's see what happens but i don't think anything can be decis- decided because i think some players including our heroes like jack are just waiting to see what's happening with the manager and when just they get like that direction <laughs> yeah they're gonna. They're, why, why would Jack's not signing now? They've offered, they've offered him a pay drop. He's not signing now. He wants to see what's happening. The new manager comes in. He wants to see where where he's positioned. And, it's a risk, though, Clive, isn't it? If he's, you I don't know, blame he's him. I don't blame him. He's got an offer now, and it might not be the offer that he wants, and yep. it might be that it, you know he wants to work with Arsene Wenger. Perhaps maybe that's what it is. But he runs the risk as well of uh, of a new manager, whoever that might be, not wanting him. Um, yeah. So he, yeah. Well, I, I, he could do. Yeah, I think there's a lot. You know, we we look at the summer and we think about a manager. 
we think about the manager and we think about what what might happen there. But I think there's a lot to unpack in terms of players. Uh, Ramsey's into towards the the final year of his contract. Welbeck is into the final year of his contract. Um, Check needs to be replaced. We 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 have issues at centre half. We all know that midfield is a shambles and absolutely needs a, a big investment to make things right. Um, that there's such a lot to do. Well, this such is why I worry. I mean, if you, if you re-sign Ramsey and you re-sign Jack Wilshire and you've just bought Shaka pretty recently and I'm not sure that you can sell him, you, you lose the ability to reshape that midfield largely because Ozil, Ramsey, Shaka, and Jack would all still be there. And I'm sorry, but replacing El Nenny doesn't change your midfield. And, you know, Clive, I know you, you hate Aaron Ramsey with every fiber of your being, but um, I just, we don't, we I don't, don't win without him. He is, you know, he has become the guy. We don't win when he doesn't play. Um, I, I, I want to... Lacazette's improving by the minute, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, yeah. there's no one as good at Arsenal as the player who's out injured, right? It's the, it's the yeah. Diaby syndrome happening to Lacazette right now. Andrew, let, let's start to wrap up here real quick with just a couple of quick hitters. The, the one thing that you have to enjoy is every former player coming out now and saying how they will answer the call if their club calls to them. Tony Adams is ready <laughs> to help his, his family if his family needs him. Thierry Henry, of course, could not turn down the call, although he could turn down being a, a youth team coach for punditry. Um, and, and I love Thierry Henry, so, you know, fine. But are there any names being floated out there right now as arson replacements that you absolutely, that terrify you to the point where you would stick with Arsene over having those guys come in? Uh, Brendan Rodgers is the one uh, <laughs> that makes me uh, Yeah, I terrified. got a lot of pushback for saying that on Twitter, actually. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, look, he's doing good work at Celtic, but if uh, being Celtic manager was the thing, we'd have appointed Vim Janssen years ago, maybe, I don't know, or Dr. Joseph Wenglos, uh, who did uh, <laughs> There or Martin O'Neill. Stop, you make, know, stop making Strang up names. <laughs> Neil, Neil Lennon. Can you imagine Neil Lennon on our sideline? <laughs> this, this is exactly it, Clive. You know, um, I, I, I love the idea, perhaps, of a former player coming back and doing for us what uh, Guardiola did at, at Barcelona or what um, uh, Zidane has done at, at Madrid in, in a couple of his seasons. Obviously, this season is has been a bit more problematic for him domestically in the in La Liga. It's not going well for them. I think I think it was very interesting that uh, Philippe Auclair on the Arscast last week mentioned Patrick Vieira and the fact that when you look at the ex-players that we have who are out there and who are trying to make their way in management uh, and who are being linked with us, that uh, he's the only one really working on a on a regular basis, and I know it's MLS, and I know it's um, I know it's not the most uh, high profile league or competitive league in terms of the quality of the players and the quality of the league itself. But he's out there and he's working, and he's obviously doing it under the the Manchester City brand uh, with New York. It's more, um, it's more than what Thierry's doing right now, to be fair. <laughs> well, that's exactly my point. Is that. You know, Thierry can talk all he wants about, you know, if Arsenal, if they if if they ask you for help, you, you can only say yes to a place that you love. That's great. But like, honestly, if he'd really wanted, he could have been a youth coach or working his way towards assistant manager. Um, do you, do you think it's a lambs to the slaughter thing, Andrew? Do you think that the, the board would look at it and say, look, we need to put someone in that the fans just adore so they'll be on side with this move. The next guy probably isn't going to succeed. Let's throw Thierry in there. Everybody loves him. It'll become clear pretty soon it's not working out, and then we can bring in our guy, plan for that. I mean, is there is there some worry that they would make just a PR appointment as sort of the short-term 
po- post arson yeah. solution? I don't worry about it being a PR appointment. I worry about it being an appointment made without due diligence or without the right, the requisite knowledge. Like, I think Josh Kroenke loves Thierry Henry, and I think Thierry Henry has aligned himself a little bit with Josh Kroenke over the last little while. And if what we're seeing with this um, three-month little sojourn that Josh is having in London um, and from from something that I've heard, it's it's only been a rumor, and I've I mentioned it on the on the site. But basically, there could be a boardroom shakeup, that there could be a couple of departures at board level, and Josh Kroenke could become one of the um, key figures in the Arsenal boardroom next season. It's only a rumor, and I can't verify it, but I've heard it from a couple of people. It'd be, it'd be a if shame to see the, Sir Chips go. That's that's all. Well, that could be yeah. Goodbye, <laughs> Mister Chips. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, it it may well be that Josh Kroenke, as a way to, uh, what's the word, ingratiate himself with Arsenal fans, will feel that appointing somebody like Thierry Henry, who is uh, obviously a legend in terms of what he did on the pitch, that's a way for him to make a good impression on Arsenal fans. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the right way for Arsenal to go. So I don't worry about it being a PR thing. I worry I worry about it being a decision made for the benefit of somebody else rather than the benefit of the football club itself, if that makes sense. It does, and it wouldn't even be taking the temperature of Arsenal fans very well, I don't think, because from what I've seen, and again, this is just canvassing Twitter, it's not a true reflection. I don't know how excited Arsenal fans would be to see Thierry Henry come in. But I mean, have you ever seen anything from Thierry when he talks about football? I mean, I've seen him, the the most interesting stuff I've ever seen Thierry Henry say as a pundit or as a guest on a TV show is when he talks about what Pep Guardiola did at Barcelona and the way that he coached him at Barcelona and what, what he taught Henry when he went to Barcelona. But in terms of his own insight and in terms of his own outlook on the game, I don't see a great deal that makes me think uh, this this guy's going to be a great manager. And no. I loved him as a player, obviously. No, I mean, and then again, anyone who's even touched or been in the room with or been coached by Pep Guardiola, you know, I think everybody wants a little pep dust on them right now. And that's the yeah. hot thing right now. You know, in the, in the NFL, there are these coaching trees, they call them. And so you have a head coach and then you have these assistant coaches in the NFL. And when a head coach reaches legendary status, any assistant that's ever worked under him, any player that's been in his system suddenly becomes discussed as an option. And I think some of that's happening with Pep, right? Arteta has worked for him and Thierry was coached by him. And so you, you kind of have that, that Pep magic, just assumed it'll rub off. And I, I think that might be a stretch. Clive, for you, any names that just terrify you enough that you would stick with what's not working? Uh, Tanya Adams terrifies oh, me a little well, bit. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah that's a good, that, that's a good that's a, And Thierry does not terrify me uh, as really at all. I think um, I think people see him talking in his second language, being quite slow on TV and being dramatic pauses on his punditry. You're and, really going to give him the we, second language benefit there, and then and then and then we ju- and then we judge him because he's, he's the best player the Premiership's ever seen, right? So um, and so we judge him, but we sometimes forget what it takes for an individual to rise up from where he came from to be. At one period, the best player in the world, right, and won every trophy there possibly is to win. So, um, so I, I think um, we don't underestimate the fire to win. Don't underestimate the ability to challenge yourself. So, I don't dis, I don't dismiss him. Um, I like uh, the people that I do like. I mean, I, I don't mind. Um, 
I don't mind Conte, funny enough. I, I, I quite like him as a as Allegri, a another good good choice, I think. No, Allegri is, is nice Italian, but Conte is the one I, I look at. And the reason why, he's telling everybody what he wants to do. And he wants to be ambitious. He wants to challenge Man City. He's not prepared to accept where he is right now. And so if someone, if I also were to go for him, because Chelsea are going to be stupid enough to let him go. If I also were to go for him, then it would be absolutely obvious what we would try to do. And one thing I yearn for more than anything is clarity. I want clarity of what we're trying to achieve. I think at the moment, over the last few years, I've really, we all debate things because we don't know what the hell we're doing. It's not clear. We don't know what we stand from, from the, from the top of the club. We don't know what we stand for. And everything's wrapped up into one individual. So if we lose that individual, I want to make sure that the person that comes in has a really strong playing style a really strong ambition who's prepared to challenge the people around him challenge the custodians and say i want to win you have to support me i want this amount of money or i'm not coming and then once we get that we get a much clearer ambition that we can all unite around what we don't have at the moment we don't have that at the moment we have everything is around individuals protecting themselves so i don't mind who it is long as they've got a clear strategy that we can all buy into and once we see that i think we'll uh we'll be this sleeping giant of a club will explode again i'm absolutely sure of it well and let's remember i mean chelsea finished 12th they, they got rid of their manager they won the title you know i mean it, it may be that this squad is deeply deeply flawed it may be that this squad can be put together and reshaped and, and trained to play in a certain way that they can be very very good i don't think you can say Mesut Ozil, aaron ramsey hendrick mkhitaryan obamian lacazette can't go out there and do something exciting on the pitch. Certainly there's, there's capability there. And even players like Shaq and Mustafi, who we make fun of, uh, or I do certainly, have proven themselves in other places. So there, there are reasons to be optimistic. Having said that... Elliot, not, can I, can I, sorry, mate, can I say one more thing? I prefer you didn't. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> players come and go, mate. Honestly, players come and go. Don't, don't worry about these players that we bought and put money into. They can go. As simple as that. I did something on Twitter today. Said, "Give me your four players you would sign." I must have got back about a hundred different names, and they were all suitable. Most of them. There's so much talent out there. So many players out there who could do something for us. We just need a manager with a clear strategy and plan that we can all buy into, and so the positions are obvious. And once we have that, if we need to rotate eight of them out, then we rotate eight of them out. And we, and we go again. There's always talent out there, and a lot of people want to play for us, yeah, so don't I, worry. I don't disagree with the word of that. So finally, on, on a pessimistic uh, down downward trajectory here, uh, Andrew, any any expectation of a result on Thursday? Um, there's always this little part of me when we go into a game feels like we're Arsenal and we've got something about us and we can produce a result and a performance. I wonder, my, my hope is that... Clive talked about clarity. We have clarity in terms of the Europa League. It is the only thing left for us this season. Top four is completely gone. We're 13 points behind Tottenham with nine games to go, so there's no point even thinking about that. The only thing that these players have left for the rest of this season is the Europa League. And I'm hopeful, not necessarily confident, but hopeful that there'll be a response and there'll, there'll be a performance. It's a big stadium. It's a big stage. The San Siro against a, a top European club, one of the giants, AC Milan. If we don't see something from the Arsenal players in, in that game, 
then there's something much, much worse going on than we already think there is. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can, we can produce something, whether it's good enough, that's open to question. But I hope at least we come out of the game, whatever happens on Thursday night, that in some way we can hold our head up high about how we've approached the game and how we've tried to play the game and how we've performed. Uh, and at least given the effort, the requisite effort and everything else. Uh, I, I think the, the, the slump that we're in at this moment in time is worse than the slump we were in last season. And uh, from that point of view, it's it's hard to see how exactly we're going to get a result but football is weird so i'm going to keep my fingers crossed i think thursday will tell us a lot about where we are and what's left yeah. in this current group i totally agree the, the only thing that gives me hope is as poor as we were last season we did beat manchester city and chelsea on the way to the fa cup and i, I have this theory that top professionals really struggle to get up for mediocre achievement so in other words putting Mesut Ozil and, and Mkhitaryan and all these guys out on the pitch to try to consolidate sixth place against Birmingham, uh, Brighton, pardon me, same difference. Um, yeah, I, I think it's hard for them to motivate. I think when you put these kinds of players on the pitch, they want to be fighting for the title, uh, maybe top four, even you know the Champions League, even the Europa League. And I think going to a, a big stadium like the San Siro with so much history, a game that I think will have a lot of attention on it, a, a competition that does have the... Uh, carrot of of providing a champions league place to the winners that might be enough to lift them now having said that just lifting their desire is not the only problem i mean we still have danny welbeck at striker and we still tactically have all the problems we've talked about so we'll see clive in closing do you have any any hope for thursday yeah it's arsenal right so i, I always have hope i i i think we're as always Elliot. first five minutes mate watch it closely then you'll know how we're shaped, how we're moving, how that ball's moving. Do we fancy it? Do Are we scared of the moment or do we want to grasp it? And um, that's what I'll be looking for on, on Thursday night. And um, at this moment in time, I'm not sure. Is the manager situation even bigger than this game? And yeah. that's my issue. It could well be. And it could be this is the moment that we might have to say, you know what, we got to suck this up because we need change to happen. And hey. there's one person that can't see it. So, um, it. so yeah, I'll just take whatever the players decide to do. They decide to play great. They decide to chuck it in because they want to see the manager go. I won't like it, but I'll understand it a little bit. Fair enough. I, I mean, I don't think it's anything that a closed-door players-only meeting with a little bit of crying and screaming can't fix, so we'll see. Um, in any event, it, it feels good to have something left in the season that matters. I think where this could get really dark and go to a really bad place is if we do get knocked out by Milan, which most of us are expecting, and then just to have these nine, was it nine more games in the league, these nine dead rubbers uh, in the league, I think it's just going to be funereal, uh, certainly around the Emirates for those home games. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Andrew, first of all, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate you, you jumping in and getting on board with Tim, uh, totally abdicating his responsibilities today. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure anytime yeah. yeah no really appreciate it and obviously andrew's on ars blog on twitter he's on ars blog on on ars blog which is a website called arsblog.com he's on ars blog on facebook he's on ars blog on patreon which the least you freeloaders can do is go pay for that um seeing as how you don't have to pay for this and uh clive is on twitter at clive pafc thanks clive thanks a lot my son we've got a bonus section coming up right after this don't miss it you don't want to miss it it follows a little bit of music right after this and of course you want to hear the music because it's always uh, better than the bonus section will be my name is Elliot Smith you can block me on Twitter Yankee Gunner stay with us we'll give you a bonus section and then we'll do the whole uh, goodbye take a break
messing around Take a bottle, drink it down, pass it down, pass it around Pass it down stuff out of the way now we can get the opinion of someone who really knows what's going on at arsenal and that's pause uh you can find him on twitter at pausing in my pants hello paul woohoo yeah woohoo indeed so uh yeah i am really interested to get your thought basically on two issues here and i think the first one is simply something that that dovetails with the conversation we're having after the last podcast and that is to what extent do you feel we're in a position right now to evaluate the players absent a discussion to the manager. Put another way, can we have any opinion about the possibility of this squad being successful, given that it seems so clear that their attitude towards the manager and the manager's influence is holding back the team from performing? Um, it's really hard to judge the players uh, as it stands. Um, and it. It almost feels like bullying at this point because uh, whatever their flaws were, they're worse now. And um, players who generally you would have thought were consistent performers um, are are playing well below themselves. I thought it was classy of Czech to very quickly go out there and take the rap for the team and for his mistakes. Which Even though it wasn't representative of the problems. I mean, you're right that they, they may have been decisive at some level, but you yeah. know, we were getting battered by Brighton, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and in both cases, they were still, you could find a chain of mistakes that led to the situation where he was having to make that save. So, um, And you saw it all over the pitch. You'd see a player leave a, a basic pass short, and really short, like halfway between him and the other player, inviting the other team onto it, and that's infectious. And uh, I, but I just mean, so don't can see we that- evaluate that? I mean, like some of these players that yeah. are so divisive, Shaka, Mustafi, you know, as an example, Kolasinac to some extent, uh, in yeah. terms of how his career has almost immediately nosedived since arriving at Arsenal. Lacazette is another great example. Is it possible to evaluate these players now that we sort of see the manager's challenges laid bare? Well, it's impossible not to do it because it's human nature. And um, on the other hand, you got to put like two, maybe three asterisks against everybody. Um, I mean, you can stay, say stuff about Kalasinac, and obviously you can point to the fact that he hasn't been played for a while. Um, you can, you know, another interesting one on the other side is the Bellerin situation. And kind of his tailing off in performances. And do we know why he was on the bench instead of starting? Just, I think it was simply rest is what the manager said. He's played a lot and he's an important player and he needed the rest, which obviously has people scrambling for all kinds of conspiracy theories. Yeah. Though I do think this was a, a game that the manager knew he still had to win and he didn't underestimate. I don't believe the opponent because mainly because he knew what a, a deep hole we were in. 
and yet he concluded that it was not vital that Bellerin played. So that's kind of odd. Well, I, I think there's a lot of things odd with his decision-making right now, and, and you can question yeah. why. I mean, obviously, the Milan game comes up on Thursday, and we just played a Thursday before this game, so I can understand wanting to get some players some rest, but you yeah. know, as these players fail to perform, there you even said it on the last podcast, right? You sort of had the opinion that even with a great manager, the ceiling for this team is probably fifth, and they're short of fourth place, and I think what I'm trying to dig into with you is now with you see us continuing the losing streak and not just against teams like City and Spurs, but against some someone like Brighton who had been miserable against the top six, do you revise that thinking and say maybe there is the talent in this squad and it purely is a case of them downing tools? I think there's plenty of talent in the squad. I think there's sufficient talent in the squad, but... I'm not sure the pieces would all go together again. And I think when you put, I don't think all the players are the perfect fit for each other to make a, a winning and balanced team. And I think that's the main reason, even with a good coach, we would struggle to get beyond fifth or sixth. Um, these aren't the players that a, a new coach would assemble. Um, maybe that's not such a big issue because in the summer a, a new coach will bring in a few players and move on a few players. But if we bring in somebody in in March, uh, I think there are good players here. I think there's a bounce. Um, it won't be sufficient to be top four level, but it at, at least might turn our season around and turn the mood music around and give us some kind of platform and optimism for the summer. Yeah, well, it, it, it's really tough to assess individual players and how they suffer. You know, if if you're the last guy in the door, like Obama Yang and before him Kalasinac, you got and Mkhitaryan, of course, you got to be scratching your head and you know you never really fitted in in the first place. Kalasinac did for a little while, um, but you don't know. You kind of it, it's one thing to be out of form. It's it's another to have never been in sync and never be in form with with the team, with the squad. It's got to be very tough for them. I mean, it, part of it, too, is, I, you know, I have this theory that top-level players want to be competing for top-level things and that in the league in particular, with the title gone, with top four gone, it's very difficult for these players to raise their level. Do you have any confidence, apart from all of the challenges we've seen and all of the flaws that we've seen, do you have any confidence in them raising their level for the Milan tie purely because there is something at stake that matters. Uh, yeah, but I think it's going to be really fragile. I think anything goes wrong and something always goes wrong. So I'm I'm pretty pessimistic about Milan. Uh, I just think, that it, you know that thing in, uh, what is it, Game of Thrones when they're walking across the ice and you start hearing a crack and I, I think that's kind of where we're at as we head to uh, Milan will be fine. They'll be standing on the island in the middle. Um, well, and, and that's a great analogy, too, because when you do hear the ice crack, you get really scared to take that next step. You stop trusting your steps, right? And I, you see yeah. that in this Arsenal team, that when things go wrong, there is a sense of whatever we do now is just going to be gas on the fire. Yeah, uh, or, another or analogy. We'll, or we'll fall through the ice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, I mean, um, but, but, but do I you gotta think... Ask you, yeah, go ahead. i got to ask you. I mean, you say it's a great analogy, but but... I hear you had another Irishman on the pod just a few minutes ago, uh, an Irishman yeah. with the same lilt I have who can do everything I can do. We tried to find with, someone who could who could at least sound like you tonally, if, if not in terms of contribution. I know what's going on here. 
Well, fire my, away. He's got wit. He's got jokes, but his actually have punchlines. Yes. He's got the accent. He's got knowledge. Mm-hmm. He's got insight. He's got opinions. And he's got followers. Mm. I see what's going on here. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Oh, okay. I mean, the the fact of the matter is we would beg him to replace you full time. Uh, it's just not something that he would ever countenance doing. So uh, this is I one of those things. your child, Elliot. You know what it is? It's you're kind of like Hector Bellerin in the podcast in the sense that there is no one behind you. There, There is no – or uh, an even better analogy might be Danny Welbeck against Milan, right? I mean, no one thinks Danny Welbeck can get the job done, but he's all we've got. So Bellerin, yeah, at least – He'll improve with coaching, and he's got great fashion, and he's got great fashion sense and great hair. So, um, all right. Well, as enjoyable as that was, let's get back to the doom and gloom. I think, you know, if if we're sort of wondering out loud about whether these players are good enough, and wondering out loud about whether they could be good enough, I want you to pick three players. And I know this is not really on brand for you, but I want you to do this. Pick three players for me that if we had a new manager starting next season, pick three regular starters, and I put that in quotes, it can be someone who's mostly a regular starter, kind of regular starter, that you would move out of the team and replace with superior quality, that you think if I could replace these three, those would be the areas where I think the team would immediately take a a step forward. Regular starters who I would... So in other words, you take them out, you replace them with whatever quality you think we need, you know, not Lionel Messi, obviously, but and, and you think that those three would be would contribute to this team taking the leap it needs to to be at least reasonably near the top. Yeah. Well, uh, well out of charity we don't necessarily move them on. need to move them on. We could just move them to to squad players, but No, I'm not uh, letting you do that. I, you have to okay. commit that they are I out of the prove club. Them. You got to commit. Okay. Yeah. Wow. No hedging here. There by the way there wow. are correct and incorrect answers. Yeah, I thought there might be. Um so mi- you got to start midfield. Uh, I would replace our midfield in its entirety. Well, give me names. Not, who's who's uh, the first one Shaka out the door? And Ramsey. Well, number one is correct, so I'm going to give you a correct on that. Number two is incorrect, but but at least defend no, no, defend no, yourself. It's, it's correct. Okay. Uh, he's inconsistent, and I think there's really good reasons why he's consistent. Inconsistent. We know what they are, uh, but he is, and he has never not been. His future is indeterminate. Um, and he's always been in and around our midfield, and it's been years since our midfield worked. So in the same sense, you might want to replace a lot of the coaching staff around Wenger when Wenger moves on to make sure that you have a clean sheet. you got to do the same thing with midfield. You, you, don't ju- you don't want to have to find a midfielder that also fits with Ramsey. How about you find two midfielders that can play with lots of people? Ramsey. Uh, uh, so you're you saying know, uh, the requirements of a Ramsey partner are too specific, given yeah. given the way he plays. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I agree with that. Look, his his fitness yeah. concern, the fact that he is a saleable asset, we could probably get big money for to help rebuild that midfield. The fact that yeah. he does have a style that requires very specific partners around him. My only worry is, I also think with a good manager tactically, with the right pieces around him. I think he can be a top 10 midfielder in the world, maybe even beyond that in terms of his box-to-box capabilities, the scoring chances he creates, the threat he makes with those second-man runs. I don't know that there's enough other quality in the squad that I couldn't pick. Remember, you're only getting to pick three, and you've already put two of them into Shaka and Ramsey. So, all right, well, I'm going to let you live with those, so why don't you give me me number three? 
Um, There's a correct answer here as well. Well, we need something in every area of the pitch, but we desperately need a center back down the spine along with our midfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Czech could have another passable career, so I'd leave him alone. You mean mean Um, season? I mean, he could have another passable yeah, yeah, career sorry, as like a chef season, or something. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I mean. Yeah. Uh, at this stage, his career is measured in single seasons. Um, so I, I'd leave him alone. I'd go center back. Um, Which one? You know. Uh, well, Koscielny is not likely to get any fitter. And I suspect that Mustafi might be decent if he wasn't the organizer and the communicator. If he had a an athletic per Mertesacker beside I him. I give you three choices and you're running Ramsey and Koscielny out of the club. Jesus, man, what's happened to you? Well, I mean, the, the correct answers, of course, were Shaka, Mustafi, and Czech. And you get a new goalkeeper, you get a new center back, and you get a new central midfielder. But it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. No. No, you're wrong. Okay. So you're going to go You're gonna go Shaka, Ramsey, and Koscielny. Yeah. I can't. I so you, I, I'm gonna let the I'm gonna let the listeners in on a little secret here. We're actually recording this before the main section, uh, and I I can't <laughs> wait to tell them what you've come up with for this. I I am Look, really all excited. All I'm trying to do is make sure that other Irish fella doesn't come up with the same stuff. Say it better. Say it funnier. More wisely. Pull in more facts. Be more charming. Have better punchlines. I'm just going to say other different shit that's random. Don't forget Terrible. a more successful Patreon uh, yeah. Uh, link. Yeah. 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 Or even a Patreon link. Well, yeah. yeah. No. I mean, what would your Patreon be for? for like <laughs> se- sexual analogy <laughs> segment. It, we want to have more sexual analogies on the podcast and we need funding to. Yeah. To no, those. A- Andrew does better analogies too. It's, I'm not left with much here. I, I, I banged your wife. The, the humility, there it is. The humility I, doesn't suit you, by the way. This is this is terrible. <laughs> it's it's almost as bad as the club. Okay, so before we say goodbye to you, um, and I, I, I'm loath to say goodbye to you, but before <laughs> no, we do... I, don't uh, worry, Elliot. My, my calendar's freed up. Uh, I know I said I don't need 15 minutes, but I've actually got loads of time now. No, All right, right. Yeah. no we're getting ready. Right. Uh, but before we do, uh, prediction for the away leg. We're fucked. Um, I hope we hang on and just keep it tight. Uh, hang on, my my mind's going to other topics there. Uh, no, we oh, were we like a gynecologist in that first Stop half. It. All our solutions were straight up the middle, right? And internal. That's where we operated. <laughs> just, no matter how compact their center was, we we tried to do keyhole surgery. Anyway, where was I? What is Milan. your prediction I think, I think for Milan? Good lord. And we should cut our cloth to our measure and buy some time, buy another week or so to get our shit together. I think we go there, keep it. I play three at the back, play a really compact, uh, hang in there, take a loss, but a very narrow one, and hope we get our shit together. So basically pull a Chelsea at City, except it's a two-legged tie. It's a two-legged tie. Uh, I I don't expect good things. So I think we should go there and lose very, very narrowly. That's that'd be my strategy. Okay. Well, I uh, I would actually take that. So we'll leave it on that uh, upbeat note. We're going to talk to you after Arsenal ten Milan nil. But before we end the podcast, let me say goodbye to uh, Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Koscielny and Ramsey. Get out of my club. He's also at Posin <laughs> in my pants. Thanks, Pos. I didn't say I didn't love the guys. 
Bye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five star review, please. Write nasty things about Andrew in the comments section. Don't write nasty things about Andrew, um, because what what would you even write? Honestly, who could think of anything? He's basically like Paul, except better looking and more talented. So uh, we'll be back. Late. That's right. After Arsenal ten, Milan nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.